<sighs> so you guys surviving the, uh, the quarantine? Good. I'm glad. All right. Well, while we let everybody else kind of roll in, if anybody comes, uh, this is going to be a new experience for some folks. And so we might have a few kind of trickle in later as they fight with the software and whatnot. Um, do you guys have any questions or anything on your mind you want to talk about before we get going? That is the question of the day. Um, I can tell you. Yeah, right now the elders are working uh, to, to kind of put together a plan so that when we, when we do come to that, we we're on the edge of our seat and ready um, because we got a hunch that there's going to be kind of a slower rollout. Um, it, it's not just going to be opening the floodgates again, uh, but in all likelihood, it'll be, you know, a, a few extra services with, with somewhat limited participation. Um, but that way we can space people out a little bit more. I, I know there, there's a, a big push. Um, and it's very much on our mind is to, to do this thing. But we want to, again, make sure that we can do it with, with all, um, all safety um, insofar as is possible. So, um, yeah, for, for right now, uh, that is the, uh, the question that is in constant discussion. But as soon as we hear anything, yeah, I, I mean, we'll, we'll get it out there because I can't tell you how eager I am to get things back to normal. Right. Right. And it, it's been a, a wonderful thing to see. People have been uh, very disciplined about this the entire time, especially even as we started to have communion um, uh, after uh, the, the service of the word is streamed. Uh, people who, who don't quite feel up to it have, have in common. That, that's wonderful um, that, that they can trust their consciences that way. Um, again, this is this. It's, it's a question just as much of conscience as of safety. And, and so it's very much something that I'm eager to, to get back to. But um, uh, there, there's a lot of people involved, and so we're we're trying to do it as responsibly as we can. All right. Anybody else got any questions or, or anything you'd like to talk about that is uh, Jesus related? All right. I'm going to try something here, and uh, I'm going to try and put up the file of uh, the large catechism, um, and from there, then. Uh, Come on. Oh. Hopefully you guys can read along while we try and do this thing. Uh, can you guys hear me all right as we kind of get to this? Super. All right. Nope, it's not cooperating. So you're gonna have to listen to me read while we get this thing put together. Unless you'd like to give me just a couple of minutes and see if I can sneak it in this way. So tell you what, I'm gonna work on two things at once because uh, I'm a millennial and we're good at multitasking. Uh, so we're gonna start off with um, the, the preface to, to Luther's large catechism. We did the preface of the small catechism and they're actually very similar um, in form and content, but it's it's sadly been a little while since we've gotten to do this thing. And so this, is, this will be a good uh, refresher for us um, as we, we start to um, go through Luther's uh, catechism. Uh, again, we can start to see uh, why it is um, that, that he thought this was such an important thing to share. Um, and, and from there, hopefully, we can uh, pick up into the catechism uh, with, with 
well, the, the, the same eyes that, that Luther himself had uh, for this thing. Um, so I'm going to start out with uh, the, the large preface to the, to the small catechism, or uh, to the large catechism, excuse me, uh, and it reads this way. A Christian, profitable, and necessary preface and faithful, earnest exhortation of Dr. Martin Luther to all Christians, but especially to all pastors and preachers, that they should daily exercise themselves in the catechism, which is a short summary and epitome of the entire Holy Scriptures, that they may always teach the same. All right, so there's a few words in here that I, I kind of want to grab onto. Um, the, the large catechism is primarily written towards who? Yeah, it's, it's written to pastors and to, to, to heads of household as well. Um, so, so that as we, we deal with this thing, we can recognize then that the small catechism is God's gift to the church. Um, but uh, the large catechism is, is also how we were to, to understand uh, the small catechism. Hey, there we go. Um, so um, when, we, when we grab hold of this, um, oh, perfect. Uh, we, we can recognize, too, how study of God's word should be. Um, there's this word right here, daily. Um, this, this is how our Lord would, would have us study. And when we talk about the catechism, then, are we setting the catechism against the Bible or, or, or alongside of it? Right. This is a summary of Christian doctrine. Uh, when, we, when we talk about the catechism, um, as our Lord would give, or as, as Luther would give it to us um, by the gift of our Lord, um, this is not meant to be set against the Bible. This is how we read the Bible. This is how we understand the Bible. This is so that we don't have to go and reinvent the wheel every single week, every single time we grab hold of the scriptures. Um, but in truth, if you actually study the catechism, you have, you've studied the entirety of the Holy Scriptures, and you teach alongside of the apostles, and you teach alongside of Luther. Um, are you kind of with me so far? All right, fantastic. Uh, if you have questions, feel free to unmute yourself or throw it up in the chat, and I'm kind of keeping an eye on both, and we'll, we'll kind of go from there. Uh, but, but beginning at paragraph one, then, we have no slight reasons for treating the catechism so constantly in sermons and for both desiring and beseeching others to teach it, since we see to our sorrow that many pastors and preachers are very negligent in this and slight both their office and this teaching. Some from great and high art, giving their mind as they imagine to much higher matters, but others from sheer laziness, care for their paunches, assuming no other relation to this business than if they were pastors and preachers. For their belly's sake, they had nothing to do but consume all their emoluments as long as they live, as they've been accustomed to do under the papacy. So Luther goes out um, after the Reformation, and he starts looking around, and he realizes that, guys, the, the, the pastors are the, the pastors are not doing good. Um, they, they are preaching all kinds of stuff and, and for all kinds of reasons. Um, part of it is honestly, some of them have, have figured they've just moved on to, to bigger things. They, they, have, they have gotten hold of the gift of philosophy and they, they hold on to that thing as if that is somehow higher than the scriptures. And, and, and some are just lazy. And they figure, like, you know, I wrote this sermon uh, once last year. I'm not going to rewrite it now. I'm just going to keep reading the same thing because, really, this is a pretty sweet gig. I'm going to do my best to sort of prove the stereotype true. The pastors only work an hour a week. I'm going to live as close to that as possible. And in both cases, you end up getting farther from the gospel. Um, what's, what's ironic or, or even just um, demonic is you can actually see the power of the devil at work here, both in how he would pull us from the word uh, through effort and through sloth. Through, through effort and actually trying to make us move beyond the gospel as if this were something that, that you know, little children get and then we move past it. Um, 
which you honestly start to see today, not just among our pastors, but even just, you know, what's the drop-off, would you say, after confirmation as far as Bible study attendance? Um, we, we, we learned that stuff. That, that, that's for the, the little kids. And the problem with that, too, is we actually just sort of only teach our kids that this is only for kids. Um, see, if they only ever see little kids in, in Sunday school and they never actually see grown-ups in Sunday school, who do they think Sunday school for? Little kids. Um, it, it's sad. Um, and the other ones are, are honestly just, we ourselves, um, we think we can move beyond it in, in, in studying something else. And so it's great that Jesus forgives our sins, but now what do I have to do? How can I improve my Christian life? How can I use the gospel to, to better my finances? How can I use the gospel to better my love life? Go to the bookstore, um, like Barnes and Noble. I think there's still like three of them open in America that Amazon hasn't taken over. And walk down the, the religious section aisle and you, you grab these books about Christianity. And it's, it, they always have great titles like Jesus is calling you and, and stuff like that. Um, but when you actually start to read them, they, they sort of, Try and move past the gospel into something else that you have to do, something else that you have to feel. Um, they set aside this thing and, and they leave behind the greatest gift that we have. Um, when when we, Luther is, is pulling us back towards the catechism, it's so that we would simply hold on to, to simple doctrine in, in law and gospel. Are, are you guys kind of with me so far? All right. In paragraph two. And although they have now everything that they are to preach and teach placed before them, so abundantly, clearly, and easily in so many excellent and helpful books, and the true sermons per seloquentes, dormes secure, paratos tesoros, as they were called in former times, yet they are not so godly and honest as to buy these books, or even when they have them, to actually look at them or read them. Alas, they are altogether shameful gluttons and servants of their own bellies, who ought to be more properly swineherds and dog tenders than caretakers of souls and pastors. So Luther, again, with, with all of his... Um, uh, political correctness uh, talks about his brothers in the ministry. Um, that, that the long and short of it is these books back here are not for show. These books back here are so that I don't have to reinvent the wheel. These books back here are so that I wouldn't be too clever for you, but I would simply go back to those things which have been handed down to me. I'll just steal from them and give them to you. Um, I, I'm not saying it's easy. It, it, you actually have to read the books. Um, but what's also wonderful is you can be a dummy like me and still actually a, a, an okay pastor if God calls you into this ministry because he actually gives you the doctrines um, through the scriptures and through, through the fathers of the church who have come before us that, that we would hold on to these things um, as we understand the scriptures that we wouldn't grab hold of something new. The, the truth of the matter is like if you haven't cracked a book since seminary and you've been out 10 years like me, um, you've done your people a, a gross disservice. Uh, Luther would not stand for it. And quite frankly, um, you shouldn't either. Like, honestly, um, one of the, the jobs of, of the, the early uh, uh, in our synod, uh, the circuit visitor, um, who, who used to be called the circuit counselor, um, his job was to go into you at, uh, your office and say, let me see your books and tell me what you're reading and actually tell me something that you read from it so that I know that you're actually reading it. Like they would actually go and see what it is because as it turns out, if we all read the same books, we might just believe together. And if we all read different kinds of books from like, I don't know, different kinds of denominations, we might have a fracture within our synod, which is what our synod looks like. Um, God has actually set aside these things so that um, also inside of the congregation, uh, we, we have set up um, man-made offices, certainly, but, but offices that, that God works good through, it's like, like the elders, who are actually told, uh, you're to see that the pastor preaches pure doctrine, as is expressed in the scriptures and understood in the Book of Concord. 
Um, that, that means when I come to the elders and say, hey, guys, I have a great new idea. We're going to stop baptizing babies. They would grab me upside the head and slap me appropriately um, so that I would not do such an abomination of a, of a thing. Um, we, we, if, if we're all actually studying the same thing, believing the same thing comes together actually usually pretty well. Are you guys kind of with me here? Super. Going on to paragraph three. Uh, now that they are delivered from the unprofitable and burdensome babbling of the seven canonical hours, oh, that instead thereof, they would only morning, noon, and evening read a page or two of the catechism, the prayer book, the New Testament, or elsewhere in the Bible, and pray the Lord's Prayer for themselves and their parishioners so that they might render in return honor and thanks to the gospel by which they have been delivered from the burdens and troubles so manifold and might feel a little shame because they, like pigs and dogs, retain no more of the gospel than such a lazy, pernicious, shameful, carnal liberty. He's super polite. I love it. Um, there's a difference between how Luther talks to other pastors and how he talks to lay people. Notice that. Um, he figures if you're a pastor and you've actually been trained in this, uh, you should be held to a higher standard because the scriptures flat say the 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 overseer will be held to a higher standard that, that I on the last day have to stand and give an account to the Lord about how I handled you people. Um, and, and so for those things where I was lazy, he says he'll render that unto me. And he doesn't say what that means, but it doesn't sound fun. So um, understand that like when your pastor says the word no to you, it's never because he's just bored and looking for something to do that's fun. It's because God has actually established something. So as Luther is talking at this point in time, he talks about the seven canonical hours. So back, um, back yonder uh, in the monastic life, uh, there, there were seven canonical offices. So we just actually prayed evening prayer, uh, which is one of them. And these, these offices aren't bad. Um, matins is one. Vespers is one. Um, they're, they're all wonderful things, but they're gifts and not curses. See, for us, it's a joy that if you have nothing to do at night, you can, you can pray evening prayer with us on Wednesday night. Um, but we wouldn't say that we earn credit for doing this. We, we wouldn't say that, that we have, have somehow become righteous by the Lord by our praying this. And in the same way, um, that means since we are free from these hours, what do we do with our time? Luther says, like, why don't you just read a page of the Bible? Like, if you're really only working Sundays, you're doing it wrong. Um, that, that we as, as pastors are, are, at least in Luther's eyes, called not only to continue our studies in our private time, but also to pray for you. And that's, that's a part of, of how we are, we're to approach this thing. Are you kind of with me so far? Awesome. All right, so for a paragraph four, for alas, as it is, the common people regard the gospel altogether too lightly, and we accomplish nothing extraordinary, even though we use all diligence. What then will be achieved if we shall be negligent and lazy as we were under the papacy? Notice not the law that people regard too lightly. What is it that people take too light? It's the gospel. See, everybody's actually really willing to lean real hard on the law because we think that we can measure each other by it and therefore somehow fix each other. If given half a chance, I will try and solve all of my problems by the law. What, Lord, must I do to be saved is the question over and over again that's posed to Jesus, right? And over and over again that the people think that they have somehow figured this thing out. And Jesus is, is usually very upfront with them. Um, it, it's simple if you want to do it by the law. You have 10 commandments. Follow them perfectly. Don't mess up once, except for the you know, sin that you were born with that has prevented this from happening. And so what we tend to regard all too lightly is the gospel. That the law is wonderful at diagnosing the problem, but it's terrible at fixing it. The law will tell you, you're a sinner and you're going to die. The gospel will tell you, Christ has died for you and he has risen from the dead. And so you have life in his name. Um, the, the preaching office stands unique because we're not simply functions of the law here. In the government, are they law or gospel? 
They're only law. And they can only be law. The government shouldn't be the gospel. The government, as, as the scriptures tell us, uh, is the ones who wield the sword. Uh, they punish evil and they reward good. Uh, it's the government's job to keep you safe. And that's an agency of the law. If you kill people, you go away. Maybe worse. If you steal things, you go away. Um, you, this, this protects society. Um, but the church, the church is an agent not only of the law, but also, and even chiefly, of the gospel. Um, if from your pulpit you are not hearing Jesus died for you and your sins are forgiven you, whatever you're hearing, um, whatever you're hearing is, is the thing that is being taken altogether too lightly in Luther's eyes. Um, the thing is, the people learn it from their pastor. Like the way that you guys talk, it's a reflection of, of what you've been taught. Um, it's a reflection of how you've been shaped. It's a reflection of how you've been raised inside of the Christian faith. And so I can see um, what kind of books you've been reading. I can see what kind of, uh, I, I, like, I can even go back to those who, who were whelped in this church. I can see exactly what kind of man, uh, what kind of pastor, Pastor DeVries was, even though I never met him. Because I, I simply know how highly you esteem God's gifts. I, I know how important the gospel is. I walked into this place and I saw a church that was designed um, by, by a godly pastor who used to serve here, uh, Pastor Haupt, and I can see what mattered to him um, because all of these things are, are put right front and center, um, just like my, my big dead Jesus hanging in the sanctuary. Um, it, it's a wonderful thing. Um, and if we take this seriously, it's taken seriously by our kids. Um, it's something that even we as, as parents start to learn uh, from, uh, well, just raising kids. Um, I, I told you before, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, and it's not for fun that I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. It's because it was taken seriously by my parents. My dad loves the Browns, and so I will love the Browns, and it, it is just my cross to bear. Um, it is not a fun job. It's not an easy job, but it's my job, uh, because even as bad as the Browns are, um, they're mine. They were taught to me um, by, by my dad who loves them. Um, what, if, what if we taught our kids to love the gospel that way? Um, and what if we did it by loving it ourselves? Are you kind of with me? I realized I forgot to scroll. I'm sorry. All right. We're on paragraph five. To this there is added a shameful and secret uh, vice. Excuse me. To this, there is added the shameful vice and the secret infection of security and satiety that, that is many regard the catechism as a poor mean teaching, which they can read through at one time and then immediately know it, throw the book in a corner and be ashamed as it were to read it again. Um, <laughs> yea, even among the nobility, there may be found some louts and scrimps who declare that there is no longer any need either of pastors or preachers, that we have everything in books and that everyone can easily learn it by himself so that they are content to let parishes decay and become desolate and pastors and preachers to suffer distress and hunger aplenty just as it becomes crazy Germans to do. For we Germans have such disgraceful people and must endure them. Again, uh, Luther's a nice guy. Um, so inside of this, he puts out two things. First, um, first, the gospel is not something you ever get your head all the way around. Um, Luther says he preaches the gospel every day because we forget it every day. Um, he says that the catechism is a book that, that, that is not something you read once, throw in the corner, and set aside. And so the catechism, then, uh, it, it's a part of our preaching. 
it's a part of our conversation. Um, if you actually know your small catechism, you hear it in how I teach all the time. Like I just rip little corners and phrases from it and I throw them back out. And when this becomes sort of our back and forth, it's a reassuring thing. We're on the same page. Um, it, it, it's, it's not a dog whistle per se, um, because it, it's for everybody who are to hear, let him hear. It's, it's Jesus saying, he who has ears, let him hear. And then he speaks something that if you're of the gospel, you recognize. Um, in the same way, our catechism is something that, that is um, beholden to us to, to actually study um, often, which is what we're doing right now. Um, and inside of this too, then, we, we actually start to recognize um, that there's a difference too between the knowledge of the truth and the deliverance of the truth. And so uh, Luther would take a shot then at anybody who said, well, if I can just read the book, what do I need you for, Pastor? Um, which is uh, not wrong in the knowledge sense. Like you guys can learn things without me. Uh, most of you have done a great job. I've only been here like what, less than a year and y'all know lots of stuff already that I don't know. Um, you're doing just fine here. But the question is, where are these gifts being delivered? Um, in other words, is, is God's house uh, a place that is about Jesus or is God's house a place where Jesus is given for sinners? And those are radically different things. And we're going to start to come to see that, especially once we hit the, sec uh, the sacrament section of uh, the small catechism. Um, but even then, uh, it, it's nice to see that uh, the stereotypes about Germans being cheap uh, remain true in the, the 16th century. Uh, that's cool. Um, how you guys doing? Following along? Super. I'm going to grab paragraph seven. This is, uh, this is important. But for myself, I say this. I am also a doctor and preacher, yea, as learned and experienced as all those who may be who have such presumption and security. Yet I do as a child who is being taught the catechism. And every morning, and whenever I have time, I read and say word for word the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, uh, Psalms, etc. I must still read and study daily, and yet I cannot master it as I wish. Um, has Luther set aside even the catechism that he wrote? He's still studying this thing. If Luther can still learn from this thing, I imagine there's probably one or two things we could probably take away from it. Um, if the guy who wrote the book says there's more in it than I can even understand by this, uh, he also recognizes something too, uh, that God is at work inside of his church, even through preachers. Um, and, and so we're not going to necessarily set the preacher against God's word, but we're going to say that what if God gave two gifts? Like the preacher's job isn't just sort of to like vomit out information about the Bible. That the preacher's job is to actually be God's word for you. Um, if Luther is going to say, um, it, it, only thing that matters is the Bible, um, then, then really, once you got the book, why would you ever come to church? And there's a lot of people that, that fully believe that. And there's also people who say, well, I come to church, why would I ever need to crack the Bible? What if God gave both and actually meant them to work together? Like, what if God wasn't a crazy person to give us gifts that fought against each other, but, but he had one will, and that was that you be um, brought into his kingdom and, and fed and edified. And so when we talk about this, and I'll say that the preacher who preaches against God's word, the preacher who preaches false doctrine is by no means speaking God's word. But if I preach a sermon to you, and it actually happened to be true and, and Jesus for you, I'm too dumb to do that. I'm not capable of doing that. God in his mercy has done that through me. And, and thanks be to God for that. Uh, Luther, as he starts to lay this thing out, then he says, the catechism is bigger than me. If you want to name, do this just by name dropping, I'm Luther. I'm kind of a big deal at this point in time. But if you want to do this um, based on what God has promised to work inside of his church, then all of a sudden, the scriptures are still speaking to you. And that's one of the most wonderful things there is to say. The Bible is not a dead book. The Bible is not a closed book. The Bible is still a living, breathing, active word, sharper than any two-edged sword, which I think is a Bible verse in there somewhere, huh? Um, if the scriptures are actually still speaking to you and even singing to you, because um, we sang tonight. That was God's word that we sang tonight in church. 
then all of a sudden this book that is, is being sort of passed down from, from father to son to sit on the corner of the shelf, um, all of a sudden this book is still speaking to you specifically, to me specifically. And it's, it's actually giving us help for these dark and latter days. Um, when, when we're going back to the scriptures, when we're going back to the catechism, we're going back to the Psalms and to the hymns that, that we have and actually daily studying them, we're seeing the scriptures come alive and actually make themselves manifest, real, present in our lives in a way that actually helps us. Uh, are, are you with me on that? Because if I'm just sort of a, a Bible trivia machine, uh, there's better ones out there. Um, Google would replace every church, and, and rightly should. Um, but if, if God's word is actually still speaking to you, well, that, that, that speaking has a voice. And that's why God always sends preachers along with his word. Like even in Matthew 28, as he closes down the, the gospel, he says, you know, as you're going into all nations, make disciples by giving them a pamphlet and baptizing them and taking off. No. It's more than a book. It's more than just straight fact. He said, build churches. Go into all nations and make disciples by baptizing and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So baptize them and teach them to observe the things that I've commanded, like the Lord's Supper, like the, the hearing of God's word, like all of the things that God has just given us. And here he promises to be with us. Here that means then that even though the Gospel of Matthew ends, the Gospel of Matthew keeps going because it's being preached to you here and now. The Gospel of Matthew is not just sort of a, the history book of Jesus, but it is, it is the presence of Jesus. It's the good news for sinners today and not just 2,000 years ago. Um, because if it's just sort of there was a man named Jesus who was crucified and, and raised and he healed like a dozen so people, that doesn't help us here. It doesn't. But if that Jesus is still working here, helping here, we have something to hold on to in these days. Um, and that matters. Uh, too many people think that, that our religion is dead. And it's because they won't hear God's word actually preached. They won't hear God's word actually spoken. And they won't study it here as if it can actually continue to help. Um, so Luther would continue in, uh, in, in paragraph eight. Uh, let me scroll just a little bit right there. Um, but I must remain a child and pupil of the catechism, and I'm glad so to remain. And yet these delicate, fastidious fellows would with one reading promptly be doctors above all doctors, know everything, and be in need of nothing. Well, this too is indeed a sure sign that they despise both their office and the souls of the people, yea, even God and his word. They do not have to fall. They're already fallen and all too horribly. They would need to become children to begin to learn their alphabet, which they imagine they have known and long since outgrown. So Luther has a problem with lazy clergy. Luther has a problem with people who um, don't continue to study God's word. Um, it, it's a sign that they not only hate the clergy, but they hate the people they should be serving. That's like a doctor who doesn't continue to, to continue to study medicine. Um, medicine's changing. Um, God's word is, is active and, and it's a potent thing. Um, and here in this study, you actually get better at it. It's a wonderful thing. Thanks be to God. Because uh, I was really, I was way even worse at this when I started. Um, I'm still not great, but, but it's, it's, it's hopefully, uh, as I study, I'm learning a few things here and there and stealing from more books. Um, but we never set down the alphabet. We never set down the catechism. That's what the catechism is. It's the alphabet. Um, that's why we don't set it down. Uh, if you want to spell words, if you want to write sentences, you probably should know your ABCs. Fair enough? All right, so uh, paragraph nine. Um, again, uh, Luther is a, a kind and gentle fellow. 
therefore I beg such lazy paunches or presumptuous saints to be persuaded and believed for God's sake that they are verily, verily not so learned or such great doctors as they imagine and never presume that they have finished learning this, the parts of the catechism, or know it well enough in all points, even though they think that they know it ever so well. For though they should know and understand it perfectly, which, however, is impossible in this life, yet there are manifold benefits and fruits still to be obtained if it be daily read and practiced in thought and speech, namely, that the Holy Ghost is present in such reading and the repetition and meditation and bestows ever new and more light and devoutness so that it is daily relished and appreciated the better, as Christ promises in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. All right, so... um. Even if you thought you actually understood this thing, understand that there, there's a gift to, to study something you, you, you've heard before. Um, and this is something that the Christians do differently than the rest of the world. It's this word meditation. Um, if you're out in the world, if you, you, you know, watch TV, if you, you read books, meditation is always sort of like going out privately and focusing inward on your heart. And you'll say maybe Om or something weird like that. But it's always sort of a, a reflection inward um, as to what's going on in your heart. And here somehow inside of me, I can find some deeper truth. For a Christian, um, meditation is outward. It is reception, not going in your heart to find something because in my heart I find sin. Um, but going out to God's word. So meditation then would be reading scriptures, singing hymns, studying the catechism. We focus on God's word. And instead of sort of looking deep within our heart for truth, which doesn't make much sense, we look to Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. Um, so that, that in a study of him, even if you do something you already know, like how many guys know the 23rd Psalm, Psalm excuse me, but, but still say it when you're scared? We meditate on the 23rd Psalm because it's a comfort to us. I know you know it, but there's still more joy to be found in it. This is the gift of the scriptures that just because you read it once doesn't mean you understand it, that there's, there's more to be gained inside of this, that the, the more you try and take from it, the more you will receive from it. Um, and, and so the scriptures become like the ocean, that, that there's always just more water. Um, it, it's a wonderful thing. I, I used to uh, be, before I came here, when I was back up north, we were on the one-year lectionary. So this was actually the, the set of readings every Sunday that Luther preached from. And I loved it because I would go and steal stuff from his sermons because he's smarter than me. Um, but when I would study his sermons, um, I would preach the same text every, every single year. Um, now we're on a three-year down here. And that means every three years you, you study the same text. Um, I like the one-year because um, you, you saw maybe a little less Bible, but you learned it better. And it's a trade-off. There's good sides to both. I understand seeing more Bible is a good thing. Um, but I found something that I didn't think would be true because I actually never, I wasn't, I didn't used to be on the one year. I used to be on the, the three year when I started being, when I was a little baby pastor. Um, but when I came into this, I inherited the one year in my second parish. And I said, well, I'm going to run out of things to say pretty quick. Like three years in, I'll be done. And I was there for six years and just starting to scratch the surface. Like every time I went back to the text, I found more. And that's the gift of the scriptures. That, that they just continue to pour out mercy, that, that God is giving more and more in them. So, so no, we don't set them down. No, we don't move past them. Uh, are you guys kind of with me so far? <laughs> um, so Luther was a longer preacher than me. Uh, people had different attention spans back then, so we'll, we'll give them a break. It's a cultural thing. Um, so so when Luther has two postils that have been translated in English. He has a house postil and a church postil. Um, the, the house postil is better. Um, the house postil, they're, they're a little bit shorter. Um, so they're probably 15 to 25 minute sermons, just depending. Um, the, the church postil, yeah, you can have 45 minute sermons pretty easily. Um, but like, 
people could focus back then. The, your attention spans a muscle. Um, I, uh, I, I had a buddy who, who went to Africa um, as part of a, a mission work, um, and, and he actually went to an ordination of some of the pastors that they had trained down there. And uh, it, it, he said it was this, this really amazing thing. Uh, they, they went out for church, and a church started for the ordination service. They were, they were making new pastors, and it was a wonderful thing. So it was a huge celebration. So people walked for like literally 20 miles or more to, to get to this thing because these were their new pastors and they were so excited. And so the, the service started and it was Africa and it was the heat of the day and, and it was miserably hot, but uh, the, the ordination service had gone on for about two hours. And this guy was actually getting a little bit dizzy. And so he, he had to go and he said he, he just stepped back to the, 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 the huts for a little bit and he was just going to kind of get some water and he ended up falling asleep. Um, and, and he woke up uh, an hour and a half later and they were still going. Um, and apparently this thing went for seven and a half hours. Um, I don't have that attention span. And so like for me, um, I'm, I, I, uh, I've got a millennial's attention span and so I preach millennial sermons and I'm sorry. Uh, I did a thing for Advent on the 500th year of the Reformation where I preached Luther's sermons during Advent. So like on, on um, Sunday, you would hear me preach the text. And then um, on, on Wednesday, you would hear Luther preach the text, um, at, at the same text. And his were longer than mine. His were way better than mine. Um, but but it was a muscle trick though for for our peer, for our parish because yeah they they kind of had to flex a little bit because they kind of got used to me. <laughs> Good. Uh, anybody else got any questions or comments? All right. I want to pick up a paragraph uh, ten. Paragraph ten. Besides, it is an exceedingly effectual help against the devil, the world, and the flesh, and all evil thoughts to be occupied with the word of God, and to speak of it, meditate upon it, so that the first psalm declares those blessed who meditate upon the law of God day and night. Uh, just pausing right here. Um, what does studying God's word do, even if you think you already know it? it? It helps against the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. And again, this is a place where we sort of stand apart, where... Um, to a Lutheran, um, especially the, our kind of Christian, um, as opposed to um, like Roman Catholics would have uh, rights to chase off the devil. Um, it's not a magic spell you need to get rid of the devil, though. The devil just can't endure where the truth is. The devil can't endure where there, there's Jesus. So we meditate on God's word and recognize that he has no power there because it is truth and forgiveness and mercy. It is everything that the devil cannot conquer because Christ is risen from the dead. Like if you honestly want to get rid of the devil, you don't need a, a, a magic ritual. You don't need to control um, this thing by your forcing it, by saying certain words. You need to recognize that Jesus already spoke the words that conquered the devil. It is finished. And so we, we meditate on that and recognize that it has no power over us. Um, in a world, in a flesh that struggles with evil thoughts, um, you can either just like do this. Like when you're hungry, try not to think about food. How well does that go? Right. I can tell you right now, don't think about pink elephants. And you are thinking about pink elephants so instead of trying not to think about something luther says think about something positive instead of something evil if you're struggling with with evil thoughts study god's word read the psalms focus your attention on that which is good and true and beautiful rather than that which you're trying to get away from otherwise you're going to steer right into it they, they call it object fixation um so it's like you see little kids riding bikes they have this thing too right where the kid doesn't want to ride into the tree and so all he can stare at is the tree but because he can't help but stare at the tree he he rides his bike right into the tree um, that's why my face looks like this. I can't help it. It happened when I was little. I'm just kidding. Um, not really. Uh, when, when we have this thing going on, though, uh, Luther says that the meditation of God's word, the studying of God's word, the singing of God's word, it actually helps uh, with, with those things that we're up against. Are you guys kind of with me?
All right, continuing in paragraph 10 then uh, with undoubtedly right here. Um, does it highlight when I do that for you guys? Oh, cool. Undoubtedly, you will not start a stronger incense or other fumigation against the devil than by being engaged in God's commandments and words and speaking, singing, or thinking of them. For this is indeed the true holy water and holy sign from which he flees and by which he may be driven away. Um, I think I just talked about that. I got a little head of Luther. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've done this a few times, and so I just kind of get drug along with them. I'm sorry. Um, I like the incense here, too, um, which was something that was common in Luther's time inside of even Lutheran churches. Um, uh, so you'll see some churches burn incense. Um, and the, the easiest way I can explain it is um, God actually doesn't just sort of give you facts on a page. Again, the scriptures are living and active. So what if God loved you in a way that actually wanted to engage with all five of your senses? What if, what if God in his mercy wanted mercy to actually look like something? And so we had art in the church. What if it was su supposed to feel like something? And so we would wash in the waters of baptism. What if it was supposed to taste like something? And so we, we would eat and drink communion. What if, what if uh, it was supposed to sound like something? And so we sang hymns. What if church had a smell? And this is actually one of the ones that's most powerfully tied to memory. Like how many of you guys can remember the smell of your grandma's kitchen? Like you just, you smell that food and it just takes you back. You're, you're right there. And all of a sudden then um, you, you have everything. Um, and so um, in the same way uh, that the churches throughout history would burn incense, um, not simply just because, you know, they had body odor and not deodorant, but um, what if, what if church had a smell so that, what if you were, I don't know, traveling and everybody did this thing and you walked into a church and not only did they have a hymnal that looked familiar, but they had a smell that looked familiar. They had a service that sounded familiar. They sang the same hymns. And all of a sudden, even though you were in a new and scary place, you were home. That would be a comfort. Um, it, it's past us because like anytime we do it, it's always going to be weird because we didn't grow up with it. It just, it's going to be weird, but it wouldn't have to be weird for our kids. Like, it's not too late to, to start another generation to actually have a little bit of normalcy in a world that's seem, seeming less and less normal as time goes on. Are you guys kind of with me here? Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's different, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's what it is. I mean, it's even in the Psalms. It's not strictly a Roman Catholic thing. Let my prayers rise before you as incense is, is uh, throughout the Psalms. Um, I, I think we even, uh, we even sing it. Um, in evening prayer, don't we? Yeah. Let my prayer rise before you as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Um, no, that's Vespers. Sorry, excuse me. Um, but uh, what it is, it, it's just a, a recognition that, that there are certain things that norm us, um, that, that actually start to, to, um, to, to shape us and inside of our identity. And so there are Lutherans today that still do it. Um, so we take our kids to higher things um, and we do it there. Uh, we teach the kids this, uh, that, that 
you don't have to do this in the same way that you don't have to have a big crucifix in the beginning and the hanging in your church. And you don't have to have stained glass windows and you don't have to even necessarily have pews. You can have chairs, but there's a familiarity to it that actually makes it feel like a home and a safe place. And we can engage with these things in, in all five senses. And so, yeah, incense is meant to be um, a, a recognition that this is God's house. It smells like God's house. Um, and so for us, it, it's just, it's, it's a way that, that God would interact with, with our sense of smell. What's that? I, I missed about half of that. It did. Right. So this was an Old Testament thing. Um, when the wise men brought three gifts to Jesus, uh, they brought him gold, incense, and myrrh. And this is a confession of who Jesus is. Um, so, so inside of the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, the, the place where um, the Ark of the Covenant was placed, uh, in the, the, the place that would mark the presence of God, it was made of gold, and they burned incense in there constantly. It was a mark that God is present here. And so even in the Old Testament, incense was a mark that God was present in a unique and, and, um, and, and um, effective way. And myrrh is a burial spice. So when the wise men brought these things, they, they, yeah, it wasn't just sort of an old tradition, um, which is wonderful, but, but it's, it's more. It was a confession of faith. They're saying, this little baby in this manger, this is the same that was in the Holy of Holies, where if you went into it without purification, you died. God has been made manifest among us in a way that we can actually approach him now. And he's been brought here to die, um, which is, they, they understood exactly who Jesus was from the scriptures. Like he's not hidden in the Old Testament. He, he's proclaimed loud and clear. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing then that we start to see that today. And so, yeah, when you see the incense being burned today, again, it's a mark. Um, this is one of the ways we smell um, that, that God is present in a meaningful way in church, that, that this isn't just a building about him, but it's actually, it, it is him here now for you. Are you kind of, yeah, those are, those are different things. Um, nobody goes to a restaurant just to hear about the hamburger. Like you actually want to eat the thing. Um, and in the same way, I don't want to just hear about Jesus in church. I can hear about him anywhere. I, I want to receive him. Good. Awesome stuff. All right, I'm at, uh, I'm at paragraph 11 right now, um, unless anybody else has something. All right, let's keep it going. All right, so now for this reason alone, you ought gladly to read, speak, think, and treat of these things. If you had no other profit and fruit from them, then that by doing so, you can drive away the devil and evil thoughts, for he cannot hear or endure God's word. And God's word is not like some other silly prattle, that is, is about Dietrich of Bernay, but as St. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, the power of God. Yea, indeed, the power of God, which gives the devil burning pain and strengthens, comforts, and helps us beyond all measure. So um, where God's word is, the devil has to flee. Um, he, he cannot help to, to be abounded, uh, around it. And so it's, it's this wonderful thing that happens every single Sunday. Um, the devil never skips church because, well, who does he want? He, he already has the rest of the world. He only wants us, the Christians. And if you want to go hunting for deer, you go to the woods. You go where the deer are. And if you want to go hunting for Christians, you go to the church. And so every single Sunday, he comes rushing in like a bull in a china shop, just thinking he's going to work all kind of havoc. And then we start in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and he hits this brick wall because God built his church against the gates of hell, and hell will not prevail against it. And every single Sunday, he just comes rushing in, bashes his head on the wall, and gets kicked right back out again as we sing hymns, as we, we hear his word, um, as we find shelter from him 
in the very place he would try to attack us. Um, it, it's a wonderful thing. And so we, we have um, hymns that recognize this. A mighty fortress is my God, um, which is our, our Lutheran trademark. Um, I actually, though, I, I saw it in a Catholic missal once. Uh, they took out the stanza about the Pope, which uh, I guess makes sense for them. Um, but uh, it's the 46th Psalm, though, which they have too. It's, it's wonderful. Um, it's a great Psalm. Uh, but the Lord is my rock and my fortress, which means I don't need to hide from the devil. He can know exactly where I am because I have an armor that is greater than him. I have Jesus Christ, my Lord, who has conquered him through his death upon the cross. And so when we gather here, when we study God's word, even in our houses, in our homes, um, God's word is a potent tool against the devil. And so we even have then um, in our pastoral uh, um, little uh, agendas, the, the, the books that kind of give us all the rights for us, we as, as Lutherans have a, a blessing of the house. Um, which is a, a right that I've ended up using a lot more than I ever really thought I would. Um, a, a blessing of a house is, is something that, that tends to come out after weird stuff shows up in your house. Um, and um, so f I've had people uh, more than I necessarily thought I would encounter that said, pastor, something weird's happening here. Or pastor, I just, I feel really uncomfortable in this room. Um, and, and so we, we wonder whether or not there is such a thing as supernatural um, as, well, we know there's demons. Like, I don't, I don't need to get into whether or not these are your relatives who have stayed past because they're not, because, you know, this is where God either calls you or, or, or he doesn't. But when you're dead, you're gone. But the devil, the devils are masters of disguise and they love to work doubt and they love to work fear. And so they put on masks for the devil himself will disguise himself as an angel of light, say the scriptures. Um, Milton caught on to this very early on. He, he was a, a, a middle-aged, uh, middle-ages author who, who did uh, Paradise Lost, one of the, just the greatest English works ever. Um, and, and he talked about all of the false religions. Um, and every time he would name one of their, their, their false gods, he would give them a name of the demon. He would say the demons would dress themselves up as, um, as the Norse gods. He would, the demons would dress themselves up as the Egyptian gods and, and beg to be worshipped so that we would worship something other than God. Um, and so when it comes to this, if you tell me you've got something weird going on in your house, I come with it, the blessing of the house, but it's not a magic spell. It's not sort of a, a special ritual that casts out demons. It's scripture. I come and I read scripture in your house and we pray together and we recognize that God's word does what it's supposed to do. And it keeps not only people, place, uh, people safe, but even the places where they are safe. Um, and, and so we, we have dedications for these things, not because if we don't do it, they won't work, but because we want God's word to be a part of our households. And so in our kitchen, uh, we recognize that God gives us our daily bread. And we rejoice in the fact that he gives, good, uh, uh, he gives daily bread both to the good and evil. And in our living rooms, we, we rejoice that, that God has promised to be with us in, in, in our leisure and in our play. That, that God has promised to, to be with us as we gather our families and, and we're good there. When, we, when we're in our bedrooms, we, we know that God has promised to protect us during the night when we're asleep. And so we, 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 we just hear this word of God and we recognize he's already given us all these things. But just by, by having God's word around, the devil has no power. He can't do anything to you if you are in Christ. You already have victory over death. You already have forgiveness of sin. He can't accuse you. He can't kill you. He can't do anything to you. And so we find our shelter in this truth that God's word is potent and it actually does the things that it says. It's, it's a truly unique word um, because my word can only ever describe. I, I have words that, that do things um, only because they, they can talk about things that already are. So I can say, um, the car is red, and I'm trying to describe it to you. God's word isn't just descriptive. It's potent. It actually enacts the things that it says. And so he says, it should be light out. And he's not trying to describe the situation. God's word not only says what it's doing, God's word does what it says. And so when, when he says, your sins are forgiven you, we're not just describing something, we're enacting something.
when God's word is, is, is studied, when meditated, sung, something's actually happening. The scriptures are again alive, present for you. They're, they're, they're manifesting Jesus, who is the word, according to John chapter one. Are you kind of with me on this? Like we went full into the deep end of the pool and we're only in the preface and I'm sorry. Uh, do you have questions on this stuff? Super. All right, uh, we can do a little bit more. Uh, we're gonna go until 8.30 and then we're gonna stop. So uh, it's 8.23 by my clock and, and we'll just uh, finish up just a little bit more. Uh, paragraph 12 then. Um, and what need is there of many words? If I were to recount all the profit and fruit which God's word produces, whence would I get enough paper and time? The devil is called a master of a thousand arts. But what shall we call God's word, which drives away and brings to naught this master of a thousand arts with all his arts and power? It must indeed be the master of more than a hundred thousand arts. And shall we frivolously despise such uh, profit, power, uh, excuse me, such power, profit, strength, and fruit, we especially who claim to be pastors and preachers, if so, we should not only have nothing given us to eat, but we should be driven out, baited with dogs, and pelted with dung. Good Luther. Uh, because we not only need all this every day, as we need our daily bread, but we must also daily use it against the daily unabated attacks and lurking of the devil, the master of a thousand arts. Uh, so I guess you know what to do to me if I uh, stop preaching God's word to you. Uh, in Nebraska, it was a realer threat because they had cows. Um, but... Uh, you know, down here, it's the same. Uh, but but I, wa I want to sort of highlight, though, not just sort of the, the flinging of dung, um, but the, 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 the recognition that the devil is a master of a thousand arts, but the gospel is a simple truth. Um, the gospel exists in some of the smallest words in the Bible. Uh, we, we sort of love to get caught up in the big theological jargon, justification, sanctification, uh, propitiation. But, but the gospel is found in some of the smallest words for you. Um, that, that, that's, that's beautiful. This is, it is finished. Very, very small words. Um, and these simple truths, Christ is risen. You know, we can have seven-year-olds not only write these things, but, but, but take them to heart. All of the devil's power comes undone. Christ is risen from the dead. And, and that's, that's enough. That's enough to undo every last art that the devil has. Um, this is for you. And that's armor that, that helps you against every last thing that the devil could throw at you. And so though he be, you know, prince of this darkness, dark world, though he, though he have uh, legions of demons to, to surround us and hem us in, the Lord is my rock and my fortress. Christ is risen. This is for you. And that's enough. There, there's beauty in some of the smallest words of the Bible. Um, and those are the ones we tend to pass over the quickest uh, so that we can try and study something more. And again, Luther's just calling us back over and over again to the simple truth of the gospel. Jesus died for you. Christ is risen from the dead. You are baptized. These things actually matter in, in a way that would combat all of the complexities of this world. And so um, when things get crazy, like, I don't know, uh, international pandemic, uh, we actually do have something to hold on to in, in these dark and latter days. Uh, we have Christ who is risen from the dead. What can, what can anything else do to us? Um, it, it, it's so simplistic and beautiful, yet at the same time, it, it's so potent. Um, that, that it, would, it would keep us safe even in, in these dark and awful days. Um, you kind of with me here? All right, we have a big paragraph next, and I can't do it in less than five minutes. So um, if you guys have any questions, now is a good time. Otherwise, we'll uh, close with the Lord's Prayer. All right, taught by our Lord and trusting in his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever amen well thank you all for your time tonight um if you have uh critiques or criticisms or even just ways we can maybe do the zoom thing better as we're, we're learning it together uh let me know uh, if there were problems along the way shoot me an email or give me a call or a text but um yeah, hopefully this was a helpful thing for all of you. All right. I'm so glad. I, it kind of did it to me. Like, I tried really hard to break the catechisms. Um, and, like, I, I'm still trying, I think. But I, I haven't yet, so. <laughs> yeah. All right. Y'all have a great night. God bless.